Well, good evening again. That was kind of neat. Uh, I remember Nick. Uh, I still, I, as I was listening to him, it's nice to see. Can I get a lower? Okay. Uh, these young people, I remember years ago, I, used to, I would say it was all this big group of them right down here. And I would just say, well, boy, it's so neat. You appreciate what you have in this group. And, you know, over the years, it's been neat to see them move on in their lives and going on for the Lord. And uh, I've often said to Pat, you know, we've been coming to California about 22 years. And all the dear saints that we've met and fellowshiped with and got to know and love in the Lord uh, in various assemblies here, and yet, as we come now, so many have gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, so many more have moved on to different er areas of their life and doing things. And uh, it's always encouraging to see one that is really going on and seeking to serve the Lord. And uh, we should all serve the Lord. We all are called for different areas of service based upon the gifts the Lord gives us. And uh, we know the Lord will bless and honor us if we do, but that was really kind of a neat thing to see. And now I know why I didn't see him here. I remember him sitting here, but uh, it's great to see. Okay, we're going to pick up with our study that we had uh, this morning. And, of course, uh, it's not really a pleasant uh, subject, but it's a very important one and a very necessary one. And it's on hindrances of the spiritual life. And I mentioned we had 10, and we got through four this morning. Uh, just to remind, in case uh, those who were not here, the ones we have had looked at so far, the first one was impurity of heart, which means unholiness in our lives. A worldliness, how that affects our spiritual life. The root of bitterness, how that can devastate our life if we're not careful. And just self itself. Uh, we ourselves stand in the way of the Lord and the Spirit of God working in our lives. So I said, mentioned we had 10. I would finish the 6 tonight, uh, whether we do or not. There's nothing magical about the 10 I have. There's so many other hindrances as well. But we'll get as far as we can. If we can cover them, great. If not, well, trust that the Lord will use the ones that we have discussed to really challenge our hearts and examine our hearts. And, and number five is cowardness. Is being a coward. And it's interesting, in Deuteronomy 1.17 we read, Thou shalt not be afraid of the face of man. Thou shalt not be afraid of the face of man. And yet, it's interesting, but big cowards we are, all too often, because we just are afraid of what man or woman might do or say, and therefore we do nothing. Cowardness. You know, God's word uh, on numerous occasions says, be not afraid. You'd be surprised how many times you read that in scripture. Just be not afraid. And Second Peter 1, we read, add to your faith virtue. It, it lists seven things that we are bringing alongside our faith. And the one is virtue, which, of course, means courage. And we are to bring alongside of our faith courage, and that's what we're going to deal with in this particular thing here. And, of course, cowardice hinders the spiritual life in many ways, and that's what we've been kind of looking at is four or five different ways the things that we allow affect our spiritual life get in the way. You know, cowardice hinders and our dampness of love for the Lord. 
And you may say, well, how, how can that be? You know, it's because I have no courage. Uh, that affects my love for the Lord. Well, there's a perfect example in Scripture, and that's Peter. What caused Peter to deny his Lord? Cowardness. Oh, he talked big. Lord, oh, the rest of them may forsake you. Not me. I'll never do it. A little gal came up and talked to Peter, and he denied his Lord. You know, he loved the Lord. We know that. But you see, at this point in time, his cowardness dampened that love for the Lord. And we have to be careful of that ourselves. Also, cowardness drains our energy. You know, Elijah is an example of this. Elijah allowed a woman's threatenings to affect his courage to the extent that he desired the Lord to put an end to his life. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4. Elijah. Elijah was one of those who was raptured. He went home to glory without dying. And yet here, because of this woman's threats, he was so afraid. He said, Lord, just take my life. I can't deal with this fear or this cowardness. It also weakens our faith. Our faith becomes feeble and faint-hearted when courage is lacking. And as uh, I was thinking about this one, uh, Pilgrim's Progress came to mind. John Bunyan spoke of two individuals that fit in here very well. And th those two individuals were Mr. Feeblemind and Mr. Fearing. I don't know if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't, I really urge you to do it. I've probably done it about four or five times now. I, I just enjoy reading it from time to time because it's such a beautiful portrayal of what is the, the life of a believer is really all about and how you even obtain eternal life. But, you know, this is interesting when you think about uh, these, this Mr. Feeblemind and Mr. Fearing because it creates quite a paradox. And the paradox is this. You see, fearfulness, which would be Mr. Fearful, meets difficulties before they even come to them. So, in other words, you're, you're afraid that some things may come upon you and you become, you know, very feeble-minded about that. Oh, I, I'm worried about it. I hope that never comes my way. So I have to deal with those kind of things concerning the Lord. But then, of course, you know, Mr. Fearful, <laughs> he, he's afraid of difficulties altogether. And when you, when you stop and think about this, you know, when, you, when we fear the future, the unknown, and difficulties, our faith is weakened. And at the same time, when our faith is weakened, we fear the future, the unknown, and difficulties. And no doubt, cowardice weakens our faith. You know, it's amazing how many times we don't do things anticipating in our minds, oh, I really don't want to have to serve the Lord that way or witness or do this. And you just live in fear of that maybe having happened to you. Well, then on the other hand, when you are put in that position, you begin to fear, and what do you do? You don't do anything. You know, this is a, a real 
uh, a startling fact about spirituality. Cowardness really hinders your spiritual life, your love for the Lord, and, and doing what he would ask you to do. Uh, also, cowardice cripples our testimony. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, what impressed the rulers regarding the early church is that they testified of Christ boldly. Not apologetically, but boldly. And, you know, I've, I've had a chance to witness to quite a few people over the years, particularly in education, and I never felt I had to apologize <laughs> for sharing the gospel. I had one fellow teacher who resented me a, a great deal because I would witness to him quite a bit and um, let him know there's only one way to salvation. He even taught world religions in our class and or in our school. And, of course, he would have everybody come in from all different religions and talk, and I knew he covered the one in Christianity, which would have been totally worthless. So I said one day, well, Don, how about you just invite me in? I'd be more than glad to come in uh, on the, the section on Christianity and talk to the students about that. He says, no way will you ever be in my class. And he says, how is you, you are so liberal in everything else which shocked me, but you're so conservative when it comes to this. And I said, because it's the only thing that really matters is your relationship with the only true and living God. You see, you cannot be a coward and witness for the Lord. A wimpy testimony gets you nowhere. And you know, there's an interesting uh, thing here too, you know, cowardice stifles prayer because it affects our confidence towards God. You know, do you, can you honestly say that you would pray, Lord, just bring somebody into my life today that I can witness to for you? I'll bet you don't pray that real hard that often. You know, are you, you know, our prayer life is affected by this. You know, our testimony says, cowards, that we're afraid to even approach God and ask for him to give us the strength we need because, you see, my testimony in itself is not of any real value. It's his working through me and sharing what he wants me to share with that individual. And I know sometimes when you witness, you leave and you say, oh, I just did a miserable job there. Well, you don't know if you did a miserable job or not. You know, our, our, it says in Scripture, some plant, some water, God gives the increase. And I think if you're willing to witness for the Lord, you're going to find when you get to glory, there are people there that you had a part of being instrumental in leading in the Lord that you are totally oblivious of. You know, so don't be afraid to speak up for the Lord. Cowardice is one of those things that stands in the way of our spiritual life. Uh, one other thing, cowardice grieves the Holy Spirit of God. You know, he is grieved when we fail to be true to his leading, his teaching, and his commands because we fear going forward. You understand that if you have this 
urge to witness to somebody where that urge came from. It's the Spirit of God saying, come on, Bob. Here's an opportunity. I brought it right up to your doorstep. What are you going to do with it? You know, the Spirit of God is the one who brings these things into our lives. He's leading and guiding and directing in every aspect of our lives. He presents opportunities before us every day. If you just stop and think about your day, it's amazing the number of people that can come into your life who need to hear something. Now, that doesn't mean you just go up and you start banging and preaching. But, you know, the Lord will even give you wisdom as to how you should approach these things. The bottom line is, you know, it stifles your prayer life. And I, here we have Elijah again. Now, it, it's kind of ironic, and I, I did this kind of on purpose. I already mentioned Elijah, uh, how his energy was drained because of his cowardice. He says, Lord, I want to die. I want to die. Well, here we find the same Elijah in 1 Kings 18.15, he, he, his, it was Elijah's secret when confronting Ahab was his ability to say, the Lord of hosts before whom I stand. See, he could stand up to this individual. He didn't care how powerful this individual was because I stand before the Lord God. You top that. You see... Same Elijah, and that encouraged my heart. I guess that's why I'm sharing Elijah twice. Yes, he had a failure. But he also had those times where he really showed his true love for the Lord and his willingness to serve the Lord no matter what. So take heart. I know we're not perfect. And I know that because I'm far from perfect. And again, we're no different. Yes, we have our failures in this area. There are times we're cowards, and we just don't do it. And we go, we go back and say, oh, why didn't I say something? And other times, you're just right there. <laughs> you're, you're looking forward to saying something, and you're prepared, and you're going forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that. We've been emphasizing this all along. This divine nature within you is what gives you the power to do what God would have you do. You don't do it in your own strength. So I just want to end this one here again, saying that cowardice grieves the Holy Spirit of God, that divine nature that is within you. When he leads and guides and directs, he expects you to obey and move forward and do what he's asked you to do. Now, what's going to happen as you're doing that? We don't know. You will never know unless you do it. But I found I've never lost a, a tooth. I've never had a bloody nose. Oh, I've had some nasty things said to me and those types of things. But when it's all said and done, I don't recall ever regretting sharing the gospel when I've had the chance to do it, no matter how scared I was when I did it. So cowardice is one of those things that stands in the way of our spiritual life. So let's put away cowardice and be true to the Lord in his word by obeying it in his leading in our lives. The next one is evil speaking. Evil speaking. You say, oh, well, I, I would never do that. <laughs> well, we'll see. In Ephesians 4.31, we're told point blank, let all evil speaking 
be put away from you. Somebody said, those who speak evil of others have too high of an opinion of themselves. Did you get that? Those who speak evil of others have too high of an opinion of themselves. And yet, I can think of times I've spoken evil of people. Not proud of it. I've done it. And yes, I have to ask the Lord to forgive me. And I have to go to the person and ask them to forgive me. But the best thing to do is just not do it. Do not speak evil of others. Three brief thoughts about speaking evil here. Believers should not speak evil of others because they are different from others. Now, when I say speaking evil of others, because you're different from others, I'm talking in a spiritual sense. You know, you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been born again. We've been born anew. We have a new nature, divine nature within us. The people that we're witnessing to and, and trying to do, uh, communicate with, you know, we're different than them. Because the Lord has made us different, and it should be seen. And evil speaking doesn't bring out that difference. In fact, when we're speaking evil of people, what are we doing? We're doing the same thing that the world does towards us. But we've been warned. The Lord said, "Though you know, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. So it shouldn't be a shock to us. If we're witnessing for the Lord and living for the Lord and people say evil things about us, that shouldn't surprise us. In fact, if somebody, because you witness, have, has turned on you a little bit, well, you can say, well, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to suffer for you. He suffered for us more than we could ever suffer for him. So, you know, speaking evil is something we really have to watch very, very carefully because it has a tremendous effect in what we do, we've been born again. We're different than these individuals. Wherefore, it says, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. 1 Peter 1, 23, and chapter 2, verse 1. Lay them aside. What does it mean, lay them aside? Get rid of them. Get rid of those things that come out of your mouth that should not come out of your mouth. The Spirit of God of Christ desires to control every aspect of our lives, especially our tongues. And, you know, the whole book of James, or not the whole book, but in the book of James, he makes it so clear the damage the tongue can do. One of the smallest little instruments in the body, but causes more damage than anything else. And even the way we speak sometimes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, I mean, shame on us. You know, we're to love them in the Lord. The Lord loves them. He says we're to love one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has loved us. How do you speak evil to people that you love? And it's amazing how often we find ourselves doing that. One other thing here, one who is guilty of evil speaking ignores the command of the Lord. 
And here we go to James 4.11. Do not speak evil one of one another. Of one another refers to who? Our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then in Titus 3.2, it says, speak evil of no man. Speak evil of no man. Well, I don't know about you, uh, but if I listen to the news, I hear an awful lot of evil speaking going on about certain people in our country right now. And unfortunately, I hear Christians speaking evil of some people that, that are involved in things going on in this country right now. Well, remember what the Lord says. You're not to speak evil of anyone. I guess I don't have to say any more on that. That's pretty self-explanatory. And then the third thought here, speak e uh, to speak evil of others is to proclaim the evil in ourselves. And it will keep God's blessing from us. The first part of that, to speak, to speak evil of others is to proclaim the evil in ourselves. Because you see, speaking evil is evil. God says we're not to do it. I came across something uh, way back when I did this 30, 40 years ago, and I thought, it, I've got to save this. And it goes, this is the little thing I attached here. The late William Hake of Barnstaple, and again, I don't know where I got this. It's so long ago, I can't remember, but I, I still enjoyed this thought. The late William Hake of Barnstaple relates how a Christian spoke evil to him of another. And in this one, it's when she, and I'm going to emphasize, it isn't just she's that do that. We know that. It, men and women are both guilty of this. But in this case, the, he's explaining this about this one lady. When she was done, he said to her, what good have you done by telling me this? And of course, her answer was, well, no good. What glory have you brought to God? None. What good have you done yourself? No good. Then go and confess your sin to the Lord and don't do it again. That really just spoke to me. You know, that's the bottom line. Nothing good comes of speaking evil. The Lord's made that very clear. Well, we can move on, but that definitely is a hindrance. We want to move on now is prayerfulness. In Colossians 4.2, or prayerlessness, excuse me, prayerlessness is uh, one of those things that comes in, into our lives as a hindrance. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer, short but to the point. Why? Why is it important we continue in prayer? Because you see, all too often, coldness of heart and backsliding can be traced to the neglect of fervent prayer. And the key word in that phrase, fervent prayer, is the word fervent. I know we all pray. But do you know what fervent prayer is? You know, a lot of our prayers, at least I, I can only speak for myself again. You know, you, you, I have my set time to pray, 
And if I'm not careful, I just start praying for the same people and things over without an awful lot of real thought about it, you know. And other times, you know, they're really heavy on my heart. And when you pray from the heart, that's fervent prayer. And, you know, the fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails a lot. Scripture tells us that. It's the fervent prayer, not just prayer itself. Prayer can be just a mundane, routine thing we do if we're not careful. Well, I know when we find ourselves in deep strikes or we know somebody we know and love dearly and they're going through deep waters uh, or someone's in trouble, oh, yeah, the heart is aching, and, boy, you just go before the Lord with that broken heart and say, Lord, I want to intercede on behalf of so-and-so. Intervene, undertake, meet their needs. A fervent prayer, the Lord hears. Words, words in themselves, really don't mean a great deal. You know, prayer, continue in prayer. In the book of Acts, we have fervent or frequent references to the privilege and power of prayer. I'm going to give you a few examples here. In Acts chapter 124, it says they prayed for God's guidance in filling the place of Judas. Now here you have the disciples together praying earnestly. Who is supposed to replace Judas? They had no idea. They had to go to the Lord and find out from him. You know, in this day and age, we aren't talking about praying for disciples, but we need church leadership. We have those who are in church leadership. You're to pray fervently that the Lord will give guidance and direction as to who will be the spiritual leaders in whatever assembly it is. I don't, every assembly I go to, it has somewhat of the same problem, and that's dealing with the spiritual leadership. We want to see it get stronger and stronger because a meeting only is as good as the spiritual leadership that the Lord has raised up amongst the assembly. And, you know, wherever we go, I, there's people that I recognize who would make great spiritual leaders. But, you know, it has to be something the Lord lays on their heart. It has to be something that you as a congregation should be praying for fervently all the time. And I remember when I was an elder, people would come and say, Bob, we're praying for the elders. I say, oh, hallelujah, thank you. We need it. It's tough. It's a tough job. See, it's important that we understand that we pray that these disciples prayed as to who would fill Judas's place. They didn't want another Judas in there. They wanted somebody the Lord really could use. And the Lord honored that prayer. In Acts chapter 4, 30, uh, 31, when they prayed, the place was shaken and they were all filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit. Well, here we see the power of prayer. And you say, well, I've never been any place where the earth shook when I prayed. Well, you may be surprised who the Lord is shaking when you're praying. It isn't the earth I have to have shaking. You know, 
the Lord can really work in the hearts of lies for people who are praying for those people. Because you see, that's the Lord's will. You pray for one another. You pray for the unsaved. And not just, oh, pray for the unsaved in the world. You pray for the unsaved, you know. But then you have to follow it up with not being afraid to witness to them when opportunities present themselves. Because in many situations within a family, it's other family members who have the best opportunity. But I also understand in a family scenario, many times the last person they want to hear from is a family member. But see, don't let that scare you. Because we're not responsible for how they receive. We're responsible to how we share. And you've got to make sure you come across in a manner that is an acceptable way to share, that people are willing to listen to. You don't talk down to them. You're trying to encourage them to have the life that you have in Christ and why you have this life in Christ and what it means and what he's doing in his life and how you need that in your life. And we've tried to witness, and we have many. They still ignore us. They try to stay away from us. But, you know, you still pray for those. And you take opportunities when you can. In Acts chapter 1, verse 2 and 5, and verse 12, they prayed without ceasing. Now, here we see the, the perseverance of prayer. And, you know, sometimes uh, Pat and I talk because there, there are certain things, you know, like we have a couple of grandsons and one, you know, is not doing as well as we like to see him doing. So it really burns our hearts, you know. So we're, we're praying about this young man all the time. And, and, my, and Pat will say, well, you know, I, I just keep asking the Lord and, and keeping it up and keeping it up, you know, why do I do that? Why can't I just leave it with the Lord? Well, we have to eventually leave it with the Lord because ultimately he's the one who's going to answer that prayer. But we have to understand something, that we are to keep on asking, Scripture says, seeking and knocking. It's a continuous ongoing process. And, we, and the reason is we must remember that God's delays are not denials. You know, sometimes we pray, and we prayed for a long time, and say, ah, what's the sense? Nothing's changing. It's only getting worse. I might as well just forget it. No, don't forget it. You see, just because God hasn't answered that prayer yet does not mean he's denying your prayer. You're to pray without ceasing. It's to be an ongoing process. Somebody said neglected prayer, or neglect prayer and you damn back heaven's supply. Shut out God's light. Cut off the communication of his power. Keep out the warmth of his love, the calm of his peace, the joy of his salvation, the vitality of his life, the vim of his grace, the comfort of his truth, and the cheer of his presence. Now, that, that's an awful mouthful, but do you, get, do you get the gist of it? You see, if you neglect prayer, you are not giving the God the, the privilege to do what he wants to do. You know, he encourages us to pray. So he can reach out to us, to others, and those that we are praying for. Can't overemphasize Prayerlessness hinders spiritual growth. The next one, neglect of God's word. Matthew 2, 24. He says, take heed 
what you hear. Well, in this day and age, you really do have to take heed what you hear. A lot of false teaching going on. In Luke 8.18, take heed how you hear. You know, you're listening tonight to a degree. I don't know to what degree. I don't know how you're hearing tonight. You could be hearing what you want to hear, and you could avoid hearing what you don't want to hear. God's word says, take heed how you hear. Listen. And the idea is with a view of obeying God's word. I just want to read 2 Peter chapter 1. You don't have to turn to it, but make note of it and check it out. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Why did I read that particular passage? Because, you see, there are so many teachers in the world today that are going to tell you, this is what God has revealed to me about this passage. Well, my answer is I'm not really interested in what he revealed to you about what, this passage. I want to know what the passage is actually saying in the context in which it is given. And we often forget people take the word of God out of context and they can build any doctrine they want, and they do. And they can be very convincing. And if you're not grounded in the word, you will be led astray. I've seen it happen. See, take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear and be sure you understand there's a lot of prophecies. There's no private interpretation of prophecy or of the word of God. God's word, what it says, is what it means. And that's how we should accept it and obey it and follow it in our lives. The only word of life and assurance and the only true word of guidance is the word of God, <clears throat> for it is by the spirit of God led. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to reveal the will of God in all of our lives. I'm sure you've heard me say that before. So somebody said, let us ponder the Word of God prayerfully, live it out carefully, practice it thoroughly, study it minutely, and it sounds like Nick's doing that, abide in it constantly, believe it totally, and here comes the last and best, obey it completely, not to the degree you feel you want to, have to, you are to obey it completely. And unfortunately, in this day and age, many in Christendom believe the word of God the way they want to believe the word of God, interpret it the way they want it to be read and said. We have to be very careful. You neglect God's word and you're going to find your spiritual life hindered tremendously. You need to spend time in the word of God. 
I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just saying, if you don't, that's going to hinder your spiritual life. We're just reminding you of that fact. Well, the final one here we're going to deal with, and we'll just have time for that, is unbelief. Unbelief. And you say, well, I, I don't think that affects me. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe all the things about him. I believe this is his word. Well, it's amazing how unbelief. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, he's speaking this to the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Well, with that verse so emphatically stated, let's be honest. Obviously, it is a possibility, isn't it? That there can spring up within us an evil heart of unbelief that will cause us to begin departing from the living God. Now, we'll never be separated from the living God. Once you're his, you're always his. But we're talking about a spiritual life. And you started uh, entering into the world of unbelief on things, it's going to raise many ugly heads, as you're going to see. First of all, it hardens or hinders the Lord in his working. In Matthew 13, 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of what? Their unbelief. This was basically in his hometown area. They just wouldn't listen. They did not believe he was who he said he was. So he could do not great works there because of their unbelief. See, unbelief raises his head in the Lord not being able to work in your life. Secondly, it shuts out God's blessings. In speaking of Israel being shut out of the land, in Hebrews 3.19, it says they could not enter in because and enter into where the promised land because of what unbelief they didn't believe what God said God said I'm going to give you that land I don't care if there's giants in there I don't care what's in there I'm going to give you the land we know the story but you see, they, they didn't enter. Many didn't enter the land because they did not believe what God said. And you know, there's a lot of blessings that you and I are missing in our lives because we don't believe what God says. You know, it talks about the great and precious promises that are all yea and amen through the Lord Jesus Christ for us. You claim all those promises. There's... Tons of them in here. So many. They're there. We read them, but we don't claim them. And as a result, we miss the blessing. We don't really believe it. If we did, we would do it. Unbelief is a terrible, terrible thing. Unbelief keeps blessings back from others. It makes it impossible for God to work through us. The example here is Matthew 17, 20. The reason the disciples could not cast the demon out of the young man was because of their unbelief. The Lord sent them out and said, yes, you can do all these things, including casting out demons. And they had cast out some demons. 
But this one was a toughie. This one was a hard one. And they said, oh, we can't do that. So they didn't. Even the Lord gave them the power to do it. And who did it affect? It affected the poor man possessed with a demon. He still had it. Praise God, he came along and took care of it. But you see, if you uh, are not willing to believe God, you're going to have a negative effect in other people's lives in spiritual things. That's something to really be concerned about. Unde uh, unbelief causes defeat. Example here is Jehoshaphat. When he made an unholy alliance with Ahab in 1 Kings 22, 1 through 4, association here speaks of with the world, the flesh, and the evil, and always leads to defeat. He was doing great. He was conquering many battles. But all of a sudden, he made an unholy alliance with someone. And guess what? They got clobbered. You see, if you remove yourself from the Lord because of your unbelief, you're going to always experience defeat in your life. Because, you see, you don't have the strength to do it. He's the one who has to do it. And you have to believe he will do it and trust him. It also brings sorrow. You know, David endured much sorrow in gratifying the flesh. Now, David did a lot of great things. He's a man after God's own heart. But, you know, he had his moments when he didn't believe God's word. He went contrary to God's word, and it brought a lot of sorrow into his life. We'll experience the same thing, you know, in our lives if we don't believe. In Matthew 13, 14, and 15, I just will end with this one as far as unbelief. We've been talking about believers, but I just feel we have to mention this one. You know, in, in Matthew 13, 14, and 15, uh, the Lord is uh, interpreting what Isaiah wrote in chapter 6. And it says this, Those who refuse to see and hear, believe in Jesus Christ, and all who reject Christ will suffer the greatest loss of all, separation from God for all eternity. I had to bring one of those in there because, you know, I don't know if everybody in this room here tonight knows the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. You know, when he was talking to those Pharisees, he said, you're closed your own eyes so you won't, so you won't see. You, you shut your own ears so you will not hear lest you repent. I hope there's no one here tonight who is willfully closing their own eyes and ears to the truth of the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, to depart from the only true and living God for salvation, you're going to be lost for all eternity. You're going to experience spiritual death. We've been talking about spiritual life in this lesson. <laughs> the hindrances to our spiritual life. And as we bring this to a conclusion, you know, there are many hindrances to the spiritual life, keeping us from walking as the Lord 
intends us to walk, living as God intends us to live, worshiping him in spirit and truth, and faithfully serving him and his blood-bought people. All such hindrances will be a result in loss of reward at the judgment seat of Christ. That's another whole lesson. But I'm not going to leave you on that sour note. However, <laughs> victory can be ours in all these areas through the Lord Jesus Christ as we allow the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us to control our lives and produce spiritual fruit to his honor and glory. He alone will keep us from stumbling. That's the inward part. He is the one who will keep us from becoming a stumbling block to others. And all I say is, may it be so in the lives of every one of us here tonight. And that includes the man standing up here doing all the talking. So many hindrances in our life, spiritually. Examine our lives. These are just ten. There's many more. But may we understand the Lord wants to work in our lives. He's in there. He's in there for a purpose. It's not just to save you from your sin and take you to heaven. He wants to use you. Let him. And if any of these hindrances hit home, deal with them. And if you're doing right in those areas, keep on doing them. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your word. We realize the lesson today has been one that has been heart-searching, sometimes heart-rendering for all of us. For there's so many ways that we hinder your working in our lives. Make us conscious of those things. Help us to repent of those things. And help us to be living lives that will be pleasing unto thee in obedience to your word in the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we do those things that will please you, that will build one another up in the things of God and enable us to have you use us in your service to your honor and glory. We commit this assembly to your care and keeping. Part us now with your blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.